Welcome to Platypod, the official podcast of the Committee for the Anthropology of Science, Technology, and Computing. Here, we host dialogues and conversations about the theories, tools, and social interactions that explore questions at the intersection of anthropology and science and technology studies. This bonus content is a reading from Platypus, the Castac blog. Enjoy! Disability Dongle by Liz Jackson, Alex Haygard, and Rua Williams. A disability dongle is a well-intended and elegant yet useless solution to a problem we never knew we had. Disability dongles are most often conceived of and created in design schools and at IDEO. I created the term disability dongle in 2019 to draw attention to the phenomenon of design and engineering students and practitioners who prototype innovative disability solutions. The definition satirizes an outcome in which designs or technologies for disabled people garner mainstream attention and accolades, despite valid concerns disabled people have about them. I proposed the moniker as a joke in response to a cycle of extraction and abandonment in which disabled subjects test prototypes that will never make it to market. But its logic became immediately obvious. A dongle is an adapter and a disability dongle is adaptive. Both are created to make their subject compatible within a normative system. Though the origins of the term dongle are hazy, shrouded in academic urban legends, it is an undeniably silly word. This makes it the perfect term for a very silly category of, jo- ob- of object, one which is implicated in a pattern of social extraction, production, and circulation that ex- elicits laughter as a trauma response. Disability dongles inherently lack a fluency in the socio-technical apparatus of disability. The New York Times demonstrated this in 2019 when they tweeted, Remember Google Glass? Stanford University researchers are exploring whether it can help teach autistic children to make eye contact and recognize emotions. The tweet linked to an article that describes how bad stuff happens when autistic children's communication does not match the parameters enforced by normative society. Rather than locate the problem in the regulatory violence of the normative society, These researchers, and the journalist who wrote about it, located the problem in the children who fail to conform. In doing so, they advanced a solution that would itself inevitably become a problem for autistic people. Individuals who have a socio-technical fluency of disability are not treated by the media as experts which is why we wind up in comments sections rather than in stories. This is where Laura, an autistic woman, asked the New York Times, why not focus on getting non-autistic people to accept differences in social communication rather than forcing autistics to conform? Eye contact can be painful and difficult and isn't a necessity for communication or for recognizing emotions. The functions of a disability dongle operate in tension with one another. 
To the disabled users they are ostensibly designed for or with, they are at best speculative, promising in concept, but in actuality unattainable. At worst, they enact normative or curative harm upon disabled users. At the same time, non-disabled people are not made aware that they have also become users through their reading and sharing of easily consumable, feel-good content. The disability dongle relies on their lack of fluency, so they don't recognize that they are being manipulated. This emotionally compelling narrative is swiftly transmitted online by content generators that replicate the brand line, rarely conducting their own reporting or interviewing those ostensibly meant to benefit from the designs. At the time of writing, a half a dozen publications have written about the recently announced Michael Graves Architecture and Design Home Healthcare Product Collaboration with CVS. While not a single article has interviewed anyone communicating from a disabled perspective. When a disability dongle is presumed to do good, our critiques inherently make us bad. As Sarah Ahmed writes in Complaint, to become a complainer is to become the location of a problem, end quote. In a recent online exchange, poet Elise A. Smith commented on a tweet featuring AR glasses for people with hearing loss. Quoting her deaf sister, S Smith wrote, Snort, here's the thing. Captions aren't always correct. It gets fucked up quick. I can't even imagine how this would go in public. Conversations flashing as I walk down the street. Also, I wear bi bifocals, do better. Jake M. Abbott, a communications student, responded to Elise, telling her she was out of line for critiquing the creator's uninformed, albeit well-meaning, intentions. Jake says, no offense to you or your sister, but that seems a little cynical, to be honest. We should try to applaud any attempt to solve communicational problems for those who are impaired in some way, despite any faults we may see. Sarah Ahmed also explains how, quote, in complaining about what is happening, you become equipped to explain what is happening, unquote. So allow us to explain. Disability dongles are contemporary fairy tales that appeal to the abled imagination by presenting a heroic designer protagonist whose prototype provides a techno-utopian resolution to the designer problem. Disability dongle rhetoric instills in students the value of a quick fix over structural change, thus preventing them from seeking out, participating in, and contributing to existing inquiry. By labeling these material discursive phenomena, the designed artifacts and the discourse through which their meaning is constituted, we work to shift the focus from their misguided concern about our bodies to their under-analyzed intentions and ambitions. In early 2011, a Hewlett-Packard Labs researcher named Aruna Sharma attended an MIT Design and Innovation Workshop 
in the city of Pune. Through this program, Sharma began engineering a haptic shoe prototype that ultimately grew into Lachal, a smart footwear company that seeks to create an intuitive and user-friendly wearable technology for visually impaired people. Sharma claims that Lachal is the first haptic footwear and touts his company, Doucher, of which Lachal was the first project product as the first wearable tech startup in India. The design problem Lachal was created to solve was, apparently, the white cane that has been used as a wayfinding device by blind and low vision people for more than a century. More specifically, Sharma located its problem in the device's longevity, according to Lachal's original website. Quote, the most commonly used assistive device by the visually impaired has changed little more in than 100 years, even as technology has leapfrogged centuries. Our challenge was to find a simple solution to a problem few had thought to tackle, and our answer lay in haptics or the technology of touch." End quote. Lachal's marketing narrative ignores the possibility that, quote, few had thought to tackle this problem, quote, because it is not, in fact, a problem. Blind and low vision people have been using white canes for such a long time because they are reliable, reasonably cost-effective tools that meet their needs. In constructing this narrative, Lachal dismisses the possibility that white cane users may have knowledge that its designer doesn't. This devaluation of existing disabled users is essential to creating the disability dongle because it can't solve a problem disabled people never knew they had. A few months after the launch of Lachal, a group of University of Texas students were featured on ABC News for inventing a haptic shoe that would, quote, eliminate the need for the blind to use canes, unquote. This is another characteristic of the disability dongle, a cycle of repetition and replication that traps our collective imagination in a designerly groundhog day, as the same thing is invented for the first time over and over again. Lachelle had already been the subject of dozens of media stories when that ABC News headline proclaimed, quote, students invent vibrating shoe for the blind, unquote. While it is possible to claim these devices were invented independently, there is an established pattern in which design and engineering students take up existing concepts that have received widespread media coverage and reiterate them as their own innovations. This happened during the initial days of COVID when over two dozen individuals, mostly students, were credited with inventing clear face masks, despite the fact that clear face masks have been in development since at least 2002 and com commercially available since at least 2018. This cycle suggests that the primary function of a disability dongle is not as a device used or even usable by disabled people. Rather, it operates as a spectacle and a sign. The innovator becomes a showman, producing and hyper-visibilizing 
a stylized image of disability normalized by technology. The showman attains prestige, and the spectacle they produce signifies the eugenic promise of a techno-utopian future in which design solves the problem of disability once and for all. The disability dongle also operates as a simulacrum by, repeating, by repeatedly creating its own user. In 2017, three elementary school students won first place in a Cal Ripken Senior STEM challenge that tasked competitors with, quote, helping a blind student navigate the classroom, unquote. The blind student in this case was a hypothetical user that was imagined by the design challenge. News coverage of the competition featured photographs of one student wearing a blindfold to demonstrate her team's winning creation. Potential blind users were pushed further to the margins when the Cal Ripken Senior Foundation failed to incorporate alt text in its winner's announcement on Twitter. The same thing happened when one of the University of Texas students demonstrated her haptic shoe while blindfolded. As she told ABC News, quote, if someone, were to, if someone were to wear these shoes besides me, that would be great, unquote. Given the hypothetical nature of the disabled user, it should come as no surprise that when a disability dongle actually does become commercially available, it doesn't stay that way for long. LaShall's listing on, listings on Amazon and Best Buy are now defunct. Reviews on Amazon's listing offer a glimpse of customer motivations for purchasing the product and their experiences of using it. Seven of the product's reviews were unverified. Six of these came from accounts that have only ever reviewed Lachal. The seventh comes from an account that has reviewed one other item. However, this review claims to have been using Lachal for about a year as of November 23, 2016 despite the fact that the product was not available for immediate purchase, only pre-order, as late as February 2016. After eliminating nine unverified ratings and reviews, the product received an average score of 2.5 out of 5 stars. Most of these reviews note serious problems with the product's ease of use and functionality particularly with regard to the navigation feature, which one reviewer noted was still in beta at the time. A reviewer named Phoenix stated, quote, no matter what we did or how many times we recalibrated the inserts, we could not get them to navigate for us, unquote. Another reviewer, Paradinim, commented that, quote, the concept is nice and has nearly no competitors, but the device has a long journey in front of it until it can be used, especially by visually impaired people." Unquote. A number of reviewers praised the potential of the product, while others expressed hope that it would work better for them at some point in the future. Collectively, these reviews suggest that Lachal continued to function much like a prototype long after its commercial release. Each iteration of a disability dongle ultimately leaves behind a trail of decaying websites and media stories. The tags on the ABC News story read, 
video platform, video management, video solutions, and video player. But only a grainy still image exists where the video player would be. The press page on the LaChal website offers a collection of mostly non-functional links. Reflecting on the cultural imprint of abandoned technologies, theorist Mark Fisher argues, quote, what haunts the digital cul-de-sacs of the 21st century is not so much the past as all the lost futures that the 20th century taught us to anticipate. The disappearance of the future meant the deterioration of a whole mode of social imagination. The capacity to conceive of a world radically different from the one in which we currently live, unquote. The artifactuality of a disability dongle is fundamentally spectral. As a prototype, it materializes pure imaginary potential. As an assemblage of digital traces, it materializes the abandonment and deterioration of that potential. And as a cycle of repetition and replication, it enacts a state of virtuality of being, quote, real without being actual, ideal without being abstract, quote. Deleuze asserts that virtual entities, quote, encircling the actual, perpetually renew themselves by emitting yet others, with which they are in turn surrounded and which go in turn to react upon the actual. Every virtual particle surrounds itself with a virtual cosmos and each in turn does likewise infinitely." Unquote. They do this because being fictive versions of the actuality that they represent, the only way they themselves can become actualized is through the reproduction of their difference, which ultimately creates a simulacrum, a system whose essential characteristic is that they have, quote, no prior identity and no internal resemblance, unquote. In plain terms, the design process of creating a disability dongle isn't actually about producing an, an assistive device, whether it's shitty or not. It's about producing an idea of what disability is. It is not a failure that they don't create a useful assistive device because that's not what disability dongles are actually about. The technology, media, and cultural artifacts that reproduce disability as pitiable and technology as savior are the entire point. This is perhaps why the reinvention of the haptic shoe and its disabled user continues. Despite LaChal's commercial failure, two new haptic shoe technologies have emerged over the course of 2021, and both are trying to bring their iterations to market. In the spring, Austrian, tech, Austrian startup Tech Innovation received substantial coverage for their product, Inomake, a 3,200-euro system that uses ultrasonic sensors installed on the user's shoe to detect obstacles um, and provide feedback through haptic and or acoustic signals. In June, Honda announced the establishment of Asherace Inc., the first venture to emerge from its new startup incubator, Ignition. At the time of the announcement, Asherace Inc. was in the process of developing, quote, 
an in-shoe navigation system, unquote, that will provide vibrational feedback to a user based on their pre-entry of a particular route into the system's app. The Austrian technology Inomake was motivated by its co-founder's neighbor who had Parkinson's and for whom, quote, small steps and curbs were enough to cause a fall, end quote. He eventually partnered with Marcus Raffer, who was interested in the concept because of his own experiences with uh, visual impairment. Promotional materials for the system emphasize the involvement of disabled people in all stages of development. Former Honda engineer Wataru Chino became interested in embedding Braille, became interested in embedding Braille information in footwear when he learned about the prevalence of sidewalk obstacles encountered by blind pedestrians in urban environments. He founded Ashy Race Inc. after the death of his grandmother-in-law, who drowned after slipping and falling into a river. Honda's announcement mentions discovery sessions that Ashy Race Inc. and the team conducted with blind and low vision people. Both of these haptic shoes seem to have learned something important from their predecessors. By working with actual disabled people, Inomake and Ashirace appear to have to break from the disability dongle cycle. But their shift from designing for to designing with constrains the disabled user as a rhetorical device to validate the hypothetical one. As Deleuze notes, virtual images engage in an exchange with their actual reference. The virtual self-actualizes by engulfing the actual and leaving it as just a virtuality. Within the disability dongle cycle, the designer selects actual disabled people to draw into a pre-imagined use case. The designer determines what questions to ask and which insights are relevant. In presenting those relevant insights, the disability dongle validates itself. At the same time, it casts the disabled knowledge it cites into question. How has this knowledge been shaped by pre-established recruitment channels, by pre-determined project scope, and by pre-imagined users embedded in research questions and conclusions? In processing actual disabled experiences through a virtual filter, the dongle renders those experiences virtual themselves. In a recent article outlining a new complicated model of disability, Alex Haygard proposes that disability is, quote, a state of ontological negation that society enacts against those whose existence is characterized as detrimental to society, end quote. There are numerous modes of negation, including normalization, invisibilization, and annihilation. There are also numerous strategies through which these negations can be enacted, including through disability dongles. By continually reiterating the spectral technology for a virtual or hypothetical user, a disability dongle continually reproduces the virtual user as the, an idea that is consumed and shared by non-disabled audiences online. It is through this repetition that the idea is reinforced and made real, enacting a procession of simulacra that destabilizes the distinction between reality and imitation destroying both. Reality is superseded by hyper-reality, a condition in which our ways of knowing and experiencing are constituted entirely by fictions.
So how does something that negates the disabled person win so many awards? In 2021, Unilever announced Degree Inclusive, the world's first adaptive deodorant built with a diverse disability community. Degree Inclusive won the Innovation Grand Prix at the Cannes Lion International Festival of Creativity, even though it still isn't commercially available. IKEA's Visibles won the 2019 Grand Prix for Health and Wellness. However, within the company's marketing campaign, Eldar Yusupov, the disabled copywriter from McCann Tel Aviv who conceptualized and fought for the project, was relegated to the role of user. Then there is Purdue University, which has given a Mallet Innovation Award to a disability dongle every year for at least the last six years. Given that a disability dongle is award bait, it was not remotely surprising that Fast Company senior writer Mark Wilson didn't just share his article on the Michael Graves architecture and design collaboration with CVS. He also shortlisted it when he tweeted, quote, this is currently top on my shortlist for products of the year, essential work by CVS Health and Michael Graves Design, unquote. But as Haygard wrote in a tweet, quote, none of the objects in this header image are actually usable, end quote. Interestingly, while disability dongles are still getting awarded, they don't seem to be going viral like they used to. Haygard's thread has more engagement than every tweet linking to the other six articles about this collaboration combined. On March 16th, I was reminded how the disability dongle hashtag can play a role in amplifying disabled technology critics over the din of disability dongle praise. I surfaced a two-month-old tweet of a stair-climbing wheelchair that had no previous critical engagement. And when I woke up the next morning, it had been quote tweeted well over a thousand times with many comments such as this meme created by writer Ani Coyote Samto Kuchu pointing out the ramp next to the stairs. And he simply has red arrow pointing to the, the stair climbing wheelchair. It says a machine nobody asked for. And then there is a red arrow pointing to the ramp and it just says ramp. By redirecting the social virality of disability dongle objects, claims, and media, we can begin to shift the way that design relates to disability projects. Comments sections rarely garner a response from disability dongle creators. When they do, we are often told, quote, thank you for your feedback. Thank you for your feedback is a signal that we have no control over how our knowledge will be used. By reframing disabled expertise and critique as feedback, this phrase, like IKEA's Visibles campaign, relegates disabled people to the role of user and subordinates disabled knowledge to the professional designerly imagination. It is a disingenuous phrase in which thank you is uttered to remind us that it is actually us who should be grateful. I have learned to respond to student advisory requests by explicitly stating that I will not share any personal disability experiences. This boundary feels unnatural to me as it conflicts with my autoethnographic commitments. But I do it to combat a dynamic where I get told that I am valued as an expert only to later discover that I have again been bucketed as a user. 
To that end, thank you for your feedback has become a litmus test for me, clarifying power imbalances that institutionally affiliated folks don't want to acknowledge. Hyphens do the same thing. In 1964, the NCAA developed a special student athlete designation to exempt college athletes from employment provisions, including workers' compensation. As someone who has spent years analyzing disability not only through the lens of design, but also through the lens of sport, the hyphen caught my attention. Working in a field that often cites user experts, co-creators, and co-designers, I realized that the logic of the NCAA applies to claims of designing with in that whatever falls after the hyphen is systemically uncompensated. People relegated to hyphen status have no decision-making power as they tend to remain external to the system and the process that they have brought, been brought into. Hyphen status and thank you for your feedback reflect steep power imbalances within inclusive design in which users get used and whatever follows co really just means opted. This is yet another reason why the disability dongle's claims of proximity to disability don't mean what non-fluent audiences think they do. In late 2021, an HCI lab at Cornell published a research paper in connection with the ACM Assets Conference that mentioned something called an accessibility dongle. I had never heard of such a thing before, but soon discovered that they referred to it as a disability dongle in a table summarizing their findings. I was not mentioned, I was not cited, and I was livid. This was a paper that was funded by Microsoft, a corporation that has yet to do so much as thank me for my feedback despite benefiting from my ongoing criticality of their practices. Although they're a frequent subject of my disability dongle critiques, Microsoft managed to align itself with disability dongle in a way that evades accountability in what could be considered an instance of political recuperation. After I raised my concerns about this citational injustice on Twitter, two of the papers contacted me with a direct message that said, quote, we are sorry that we did not have the opportunity to quote your work at this time, quote. I responded with a series of messages explaining the harm that was done and asking for specific details about how this happened. Details I needed in order to determine how this harm could be rectified for me and how it could be prevented in the future. Once it became clear to me that I was not going to receive any further response from them, I sent an email to the conference organizers demanding a retraction which prompted an email from the conference sponsor's CEO asking me what I wanted. It was a pointless question because a few days later, she informed me that there would be no public apology. I also never got to approve the revised paper because someone involved confirmed I was happy with it despite never having shared it with me. The entire situation would have derailed me were it not for Rua Williams' gutsy open letter calling for citational justice. That letter, and the way that they used their institutional power to support me and Alex is what prompted this paper. Because Alex and I are not institutionally affiliated, we would have had no other recourse were it not for Rua, who later tweeted, quote, once again, I must remind my fellow academics that if your power analysis stops at student, you have been on campus too long. Do we have power over students? Yes. 
Are the students the most vulnerable in our work? No. Do the students have power over some of us? Yes, actually. Interestingly, before Rua had the chance to formally extend their offer, another academic reached out after signing Rua's open letter asking if I would like to write a disability dongle piece for her upcoming anthology on disability and design because, quote, so many essays here cite it, unquote. I asked her for assurance that power differentials present in the anthology would not be used to undermine me. After a brief back and forth, she retracted her offer saying, you have such a wonderful way of expressing yourself and it can be such a powerful writer. Academic prose will just suck the life out of it and I'd hate to see that happen with this important topic, unquote. How has the term disability dongle become so popular among academics if its tone is antithetical to academic prose? The only thing sucking the life out of me is that my analysis of how disability dongles extract knowledge from outsiders is now being extracted by academics. Once this paper is published, I plan to update a hastily written media post that I threw together about disability dongles a few years ago. It is the post that the anthology author and those Cornell students, along with the faculty who failed them, ultimately insisted on citing as they discarded my valid questions. The limited text on the updated post will hyperlink directly back to this paper so that their citations of me will also detail their citational injustices. Lived experience is not enough. Having an experience is not the same thing as understanding that experience. My understanding of my own experiences would not be possible without Alex Haygard and Rua Williams. I agreed to write this paper because I wanted to learn more from them. That is why this paper has three authors, even though it is written from a first person point of view. What is an editor when it is their authorship that makes your argument articulable? It's easy to say, yes, that's what I meant. When they come up with the apt framework or phrasing or theory. Having experienced citational injustices, I now work very hard to clearly stay, state, yes, that's it, you nailed it. And in this paper, they absolutely nailed it. To that end, writer and editor Nicole Miller declined to be named an author on this paper, even though she absolutely nailed her contributions to it. In this paper, we practice citational justice by centering the perspectives of disabled thinkers, whether or not they are legitimized by the academy, and by using citations to hold academics and developers accountable for the consequences of their creations. To those who have benefited from the concept of the disability dongle in the past, you may use the intensity of any feelings of delight or defensiveness as a barometer for your own citational justice practices. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any comments and feedback, feel free to share them with us on the blog. You can find the link to the post in the description of the episode.